Welcome back to another episode of Space and 60 with Andrew Pilupchuk. Hello, hello. And Chad, the Baker Man. Hey, Chad. The Baker Man. I like it. The Baker Man. So is this officially our first 2022 podcast? It's our first recorded 2022 podcast. Welcome to the new year. Here, here. Welcome to the new year. Yeah, we're there's you know been a lot happening over the uh the break. We saw some pretty big rounds happening invested in space. All of us had, I think, a good holiday break starting in the new year strong. And today we've got some really cool guests. One guest in particular, like I'm just thrilled to hear more about his background, but I I feel the need for speed. <laughs> I feel the need for speed. Got to buzz the tower. Buzz the tower. Buzz the tower. So today's guest that we have joining the show, I think everyone listening is going to be really excited. We've got Grant Begley, CEO of Viaspace, and Jack Blood, Vice President at Viaspace. These guys are based here locally in Florida, where we do most of the important parts of this show. And so we can't wait to uh, to have them on today. So Andrew, would you... One third of that part. Yeah, maybe one third of the part, but the more important parts of the space industry, the launching part. I thought that's where Clint was going with this, but clearly not. Clearly not. But, you know, now that I guess we need to find something important for you to do, Andrew, could you introduce the guests? Today we have with us Jack and Grant. Gentlemen, do you want to say hey to the podcast listeners? Hey, podcast listeners. And from Grant Begley, thank you very much for the opportunity. Hello, podcast listeners. Glad to have you guys on the line. So tell us, where are you guys located? A little bit about yourselves. Space Coast. Actually, I've noticed you gentlemen on the uh, monitor here, you're all bundled up. The temperature today is 70 degrees, uh, even though it's overcast, <laughs> but we're down here on the Space Coast. Cocoa Village proper is where our headquarters is. Our test facility is about five miles from here over in the Cape Canaveral area specifically. Very nice. We're the only uh, rocket company in the city of Cocoa, and we're really proud to carry the torch for the... Uh, heritage that the Space Coast has in, uh, with the space program. So appropriate place for us, right time, right place. Yeah, so for my background, for your listeners, uh, be very, very careful if you consider buying your children or your grandchildren a chemistry set. They could lead <laughs> into walking away and damaging your neighbor's properties. So my background goes back in the 1960s, you know, early, early teens. My, uh, my mother's parents had gifted me for Christmas the chemistry set. And the thing that really excited me was the pyro portion of it. You know, if I can make things, yep. mix them together and, <laughs> and burn stuff, isn't that really cool? And what was going on in the 60s? The emergence of the space program. So I was glued to our black and white TV. I had a chemistry set where I could make mixtures and burn them. I had a neighbor whose father worked in the Washington, D.C. area at one of the local laboratories for the Navy. You know, for the Navy. And uh, I would talk with Tommy, my friend's father, he says, well, what are you doing, Grant? And I said, well, I make this. You know what you ought to try to add to that? And so he was <laughs> the passion for rockets. So I started making homemade rockets. And oh, by the way, this is no kidding. Shower curtain rod. You can go down to a local hardware store. They're long, they're thin, they're light. 
to be able to build a nozzle and build a rocket and have my own homegrown, making my rocket fuel in the basement. And in fact, there's burn marks in the ceiling of the basement, which is another story. <laughs> but to launch my first rocket, which was about four foot tall, carved bolsa head with my own parachute system. Ah, but I had zero delay when the parachute came out. And that parachute and the nose cone came off. This rocket went, it went fast, it went far, couldn't see it. And uh, my father was with me going, what happened? Where'd it go? It was really <laughs> surprising. I mean, this rocket, homegrown yeah. rocket, and it just went so well. And that rocket came, this is like a straw coming out of the sky. And it came, I mean, just, just a flash. It's a shower curtain rod with fins. And it came down and it skewered our neighbor's house. And it went <laughs> no. right through the went right through the roof. I mean, toward the roof. And then and the good news is the neighbors weren't home. We were sitting for them. And uh we had to go in the house to recover the rocket. So be careful if you get a chemistry set for your children or your grandchildren. And hence the launch insurance industry was launched. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right there. That is an awesome story. There's other programs for uh, the government for missiles and rockets, as well as for Lockheed Martin for Raytheon. And as I mentioned before, in my uh, advanced degrees, aerospace, aeronautical engineering, I was uh, doing rockets, doing experiments with rockets in graduate school in my thesis work. So it's been a passion I've had, and I'm just delighted where the industry has gone in the past decades. And I mean, really, at this threshold, uh, that space is becoming is the commercial space. It's going to be commercialized. And uh, what, what an exciting time for us to be able to contribute, partake, and be benefactors of this commerce and space. Grant, we'd love to hear about your time at Top Gun. Uh, so I was very fortunate through my uh, professional career. I wanted to fly Navy jets. And so I uh, went to a trade school. You may have heard of it. It's called the Naval Academy. Uh, the good news <laughs> is I was uh, very good at sports in high school. So I was recruited for football and track to the Naval Academy. And I knew the Navy had jets, the Blue Angels, and so that's something that really inspired me. So I was fortunate, graduated from the Naval Academy, flight training, uh, number one in my class, end of fighters, flew the F-14 and delighted to be designated a Navy uh, Top Gun. And uh, from that, with advanced degrees, Washington, D.C., to build next generation weapon capabilities, uh, to include the uh, Super Tomcat, the F-22, the Raptor, which is an Air Force aircraft, but it was a joint aircraft at one time, and I was a deputy program manager for the Raptor, and the Navy then finally stepped out of the program. Uh, so the advancement of drones, so the Predator, the Global Hawk, the Fire Scout, a lot of the drone programs out there, programs that I was asked to go ahead and stand up and manage. And my last job, active duty for the service, I was the National Director for Stealth, Counter-Stealth Technology Policy and Advanced Programs. And so I had all the U.S. government stealth and counter-stealth stuff. And it's more than just aircraft, it's ships, it's submarines, it's people. And, uh, you know, very, so very just delighted to have the career journey I've had. That's amazing. And now you're launching rockets. I mean, when does it stop? It's it's a dream all cool. around. Cool. Yeah, I'm surrounded by a bunch of underachievers, you know, former astronauts. <laughs> top guns, uh, we, we've got a lot in common. <laughs> so thanks for asking. And actually a little bit on our test facility, we've had over... 90 static tests of our rocket engine to date. And our test facility is in an industrial park. We have an RV repair shop on one side and a concrete mixing plant on the other side. The, uh, the fire chief of the city loves us and our rocket is safe. And uh, we do our rocket test engines in an industrial park. That's very unique. 
Yeah, actually, our other neighbor is SpaceX, and they have their uh, vehicle integration building there, their payload integration building there. But they don't do any rocket tests. Let me get this straight. You got SpaceX building the Starship. Then we've got you guys building rocket engines for motorhomes. Because I think that's the way I'd rather go to the moon. <laughs> the, Winnebago? The, the Winnebago from Spaceballs. Yes. Exactly. yes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, the payload capacity is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it like actually, it. when we do our rocket engine test, we'll talk about it a little bit more in the podcast. We've done up to 5,000 pound thrust engine tests. But out of uh, neighbor courtesy, we put a phone call around our neighbors just to let them know there's going to be some rocking, shaking, and rolling going on. So uh, nobody is uh, frightened when one of these rocket engines uh, is tested. I was wondering when you kick those off, if everybody starts to peek over the fence, wondering what's <laughs> yeah. happening over there. Kind of, who are these <laughs> new people? <laughs> there are spectators. Spectators come out, staying in uh, the street out in front with their cameras rolling, uh, you know, taking shots. In fact, over the past weeks, we've assembled a team designed and has built three rockets just in the past six months. These are going to be our suborbital test rockets. Last week, we were doing vertical tests, full-fledged tests with the rockets in the upright position, taller than the building, and testing the engines with the rockets strapped down with tie-down chains and lines and double safety and inspected by the fire marshal. But really, it was a spectacle for our neighbors. You know, no we're going to have to get Andrew out there for sure. His his nickname is Thruster. Um, so <laughs> appropriate. He, he could probably come out and do some some QA, QC. We yeah, can strap sure. him to the top, you know, while it's just sitting there. Just have him kind of ride the ride the rocket as it's strapped down. Nope, <laughs> nobody's made straps strong enough to hold me down yet, Chad. <laughs> it does sound like hype, but uh, part of the appeal with this hybrid rocket technology is that Ambient pressures, ambient temperatures, it's got zero TNT equivalency. Uh, you, It's non-toxic, it's non-hazardous, it's non-explosive. It only acts like a high-energy rocket under controlled conditions. That's uh, really the game changer for us and something that we've spent all of our time and efforts uh, perfecting. That's pretty cool. One for the environmentalists and climate change, so I think that's a check there. That's really interesting. Can you give us a few more details around how all that works? Uh, yes, yeah, so let me jump into it. So what we have is a hybrid rocket. So it's different than the bipropellants, like a, you know, one of the traditional bipropellants. You have your refined kerosene and liquid oxygen. It's different than a solid fuel rocket, which is a mix, and you like the mix, and it just launches. You can't really throttle it or anything. So ours is a hybrid. We have a solid fuel that burns, and it's a thermoplastic. And then our oxidizer is either liquid oxygen or nitrous oxide, which is laughing gas. And so we've tested using both. What burns is a thermoplastic. And in fact, what we have been using, we can use recycled plastic from drinking bottles. And the team has already done the calculation for 2 million water bottles. We can put 2,000 pounds into low Earth orbit. But we're, we take this thermoplastic, and thermoplastics have different characteristics. So a milk bottle is different than a water bottle, is different than a detergent container. And so depending on the thermo thermoplastic, you get different characteristics. We have the characteristics we like for our solid fuel engine that burns. It's a cylinder that has very thick walls. The color of the thermoplastic is almost like, a, like an oatmeal. It's sort of a, you know, just an oatmealish color. 
3D printed in a very specific way. So think of a very thick walled cylinder. On top of that cylinder, we have a very special mixer that mixes the oxidizer very specifically with that cone that burns, that thermoplastic. And we can throttle that. It's very simple. It's very safe. The thermoplastic does not explode. It burns very homogeneously from the inside out. And in fact, what I have here in the room, I have, we're sort of in one of our conference rooms here uh, via space, several examples of the over 90 static tests we've done from 250 pound thrust up to a 5,000 pound thrust engine that we tested for DARPA a year and a half ago. But it, it burns very cleanly and that it puts out no toxins. So we've had third-party analysis that is determined that we don't put out nitrides, we don't put out sulfides, it burns very clean, it's throttleable, it's safe, it has no TNT equivalency. Uh, in fact, one of the rocket motor sections, thermoplastic I have here, the end's been cut off because I use my circular saw and I make cocktail coasters out of the end of it. <laughs> and I also have made an ashtray out of one of these and so what other company can claim they're making ashtrays out of rocket fuel or boosters <laughs> for their cocktails? Sounds a little dangerous. So how how did you guys come up with this? I mean, it's absolutely fascinating. Well, our chairman, uh, Sid Gutierrez, is a former astronaut. He was the first U.S.-born Hispanic astronaut and the first uh, Hispanic mission commander. And uh, he was involved uh, with NASA with some of the uh, shuttle investigations uh, that went awry. And he was convinced that there needed to be a different approach for manned missions, uh, manned missions, and, and that was hybrid. Uh, unfortunately, no one had cracked the secret sauce, and that was how to get a consistent burn, uh, consistent uh, regression, burn-to-burn -burn ratio on the, the solid rocket uh, that is controlled by the liquid oxidizer. And uh, that's what we spent our time doing. So we took a slightly different approach. A lot of the, our competitors have gone heavy investment up front, which they can do if you have a billionaire angel investor and then scale for production and prove your, prove your uh, technology. We've actually spent our time proving the technology. Now we're ready to scale. And to the question, the, uh, the concept of hybrids has been around for many, many years, decades. My, my graduate work uh, back in the 1980s was in ramjets and scramjets and using uh, hybrid engines you know, to do so. But to Jack's point, the, the challenge was getting a homogeneous burn. You weren't going to get hot spots uh, and have these plastics start burning unusually or get a hot spot in an area and have it burn through. That was a challenge. And what was introduced to buy a space, and this is early concept going back nearly four or five years ago, was if you could 3D print the thermoplastic in a very specific way and then blend the oxidizer in another very specific way. And oh, by the way, we have uh, two patents pending nationally. We have four patents pending internationally. And a host and of trade, trade secrets. A host uh, of trade secrets is we have <laughs> broken the magic sauce that, on this thing. But able to now get the engines to burn, I mean, they burn very, very homogeneously. They burn very clean. It uses a thermoplastic that we, we know that we're using already recycled plastics by choice in a rocket engine, and it burns clean from an environmental perspective. So the number of moving parts, very few. The predictability of the engine burn, 
is we do different size engines, as I mentioned before, from 250 pounds up to 5,000 pounds so far, and over 90 static tests. The predictability of the duration of the burn, the, the regression rate is all spot on, that we're confident also we can cluster these engines uh, as though they were bi-propellants, for example, and burn them together. So throttleable, safe, inexpensive, and uh, we're working toward now a uh, suborbital test program. Uh, as I mentioned, we've assembled three rockets. We're doing hot tests of them in a vertical position last week, and that's all going quite well. And I also, I would offer, you know, this has a zero TNT equivalent, but for biospace, our number one priority, and you could ask any team member, safety first. We know we're working with energy, and we just want to make sure the team stays safe. Mission first, people always. But think about this. You don't have to worry about stray RF or electrostatic discharge. You don't have to bunker it. You don't have to have special transportation requirements or storage requirements. This stuff could literally sit on a shelf for years. It's stable. It's it Again, this is a, a huge game changer. And uh, oh, by the way, we can build these for at least 25% cheaper than a traditional bipropellant engine. That means we can react to market pricing and still preserve uh, margins and, and, and be a great investment vehicle, not only for safer and environmentally friendly access to space, but affordable. And so you're looking at launching spacecraft, everything from small payload to small batches, or what do you guys, what's your target market that you're hoping to, to reach? Right now, we're, we're targeting small satellites and providing those launch services. But because of the scalability of the propulsion technology, we could easily see this uh, as a, a viable engine replacement for space tourism, where really the demands of zero failure, the demands of zero accidents lend themselves. Because, uh, you know, God forbid that something happened uh, in the early stages of, of this industry were an alternative to that that can provide the same type of lift characteristics as a bipropellant. Again, for significantly cheaper cost and huge uh, risk reduction. We get quite a few of the, the VCs that, that listen to this show. And one of the questions I always get is, you know, why does a, a space company choose to locate for example, on the space coast of Florida versus why aren't you in San Francisco? Like, I mean, that's where all of the, the VCs tend to, to want space companies to start these days and or Austin, you know, and so what's the driver for being on the space coast? In that example that you just discussed, most of those companies uh, take Astra for the, the Bay example. They're coming to the space coast to launch from Cape Canaveral soon. So a lot of these companies develop this elsewhere, then transport it to the Space Coast uh, to get the launch azimuths they need. Certainly there's uh, Vandenberg in, in California and, and Kodiak in Alaska, but we really felt that there was the skilled labor market was here that we could tap into. We really felt the facilities were here. Uh, the state of Florida has an awesome program to support space and tech startups that uh, we're availing ourselves of. And in fact, we've been identified uh, and will be receiving the award uh, next month for one of the uh, top companies in Florida to watch based on our innovation and projected growth So uh, from Grow Florida. So we're, we're very pleased to be in the city of Cocoa. Let me add, there's two other factors too. And it's the talent here in Florida. So you have Evan Riddle, you have University of Florida, Florida State, 
and Florida, Florida Tech, and the, the student population coming out of those universities, the quality of the talent is superb. And when other companies come to Florida to launch, and they're coming from other parts of the country, guess what's really nice here? The beaches, the weather. <laughs> so the ability to have individuals go, hey, wouldn't it be nice to live here? And I have this skill set that's sort of like making rockets and so forth. Until now, with Biospace, there was not another homegrown rocket company here on the Space Coast. So the ability, the knocks on the door, the emails we get, hey, you guys hired. Uh, so the talent that we can get from other parts of the country and then also from the great educational programs here in the state of Florida are very enabling. And as Jack mentioned, we're spaceport. So this is a spaceport. It's easy to launch out of here. This is our primary launch location, but we also have other launch options. Yeah, that's great. I also heard you mention the Pacific spaceport up in Kodiak. That's a really awesome location up there. And I've loved to watch rockets launch out of there. And But it's also great here in Florida. Like I'm the one out of the team on, on our side that lives in Florida. And we can we can watch a launch from the front porch or we can drive out to the Cape and, and watch from there. And there's a lot going here. But the reason I asked the question is there's, you know, there's a lot of drive to push these newer entrants into the market out to the San Francisco area and start from the Bay. But you're right, the the talent here is is amazing. And the cost of living is certainly a, a huge competitive differentiation. Most of the talent that you hire, and you have great talent out in Silicon Valley, but it's it, it's a challenge uh, even paying market rates uh, for that area to for them to find uh, housing and to, to make it affordable. So they, they tend to have long commutes. Yeah, that gives us another competitive differentiation. And the whole supply chain here is it's already established, well-established. And uh, so we have virtually everything we need right within Florida or adjacent. So uh, this is, again, a, a great location. And we're, we're building off the whole legacy of the space program uh, that, that was developed here in Florida on the space coast. As we are hiring and we post uh, positions, opening positions, you know, I'm delighted <laughs> even though it is burdensome, delighted with the number of applications we get for a position in from across the country. And, uh, you know, it's a great problem to have. And it's affirming the desire for folks that want to come here to Florida. And then also the local talent uh, that applies is just, it's a, it's a great, great opportunity. I can see on the screen here, you guys have in the background of your office there, uh, uh, it looks like something from a trade show where it shows that you're going to start taking reservations for launch in 2023. Oh, we have reservations. You already have reservations. Wow. We already have launch contracts and launch reservations. Uh, our launch reservations uh, take us uh, all the way through 2023 and 2024, uh, and we're continuing to uh, uh, book more. These are all rideshare. We have available uh, payload capacity. Right now, we're taking orders as fast as we can get them. We're anticipating a 30-day build integrate launch ready cycle. Initially, we're going to go a slower pace, but then as we add capacity, we'll we'll be doing stepping up the weekly launches and then probably 100 plus in a year. The constraint is not the market, obviously. It's not our ability to build these rockets. The constraint is launch sites. So we've opened a Brazilian subsidiary that will give us the technology safe agreement between Brazil and the U.S. and Alcantara. And from Alcantara, we can accommodate uh, any launch azimuth. Uh, and it's only two degrees off the equator. So there's some uh, energy savings uh, that we'll pick up on that. 
to achieve orbital velocity, but we're looking at uh, lining up uh, spaceports because that will be the constraint going forward. So we already have to, uh, Jack's good work and recognition of why as we're moving forward doing our demonstrations. We have a, a pipeline right now that's nearly a quarter of a billion dollars takes launches into 2026. We haven't taken any orders beyond 2026 yet. And one of the nice things also is uh, I had mentioned for the solid fuel portion of our rocket, the thermoplastic, uh, it's 3D printed in a very specific way. That's patent pending. We are modulating, we're experimenting, but we, as we do that, to keep the science and technology in the background, we're moving forward as a growth company to go do launches. So the ability to continue improving is immense. And we have scientists, we have the rocket scientists that are doing that, and they're just so excited about the different capabilities they're finding to even improve the performance that we've demonstrated so far. But as the CEO, my task is to move forward and provide services and to have paying customers and provide them capability. And so we're moving forward very readily in that. But with the 3D printing, 3D printers keep getting more sophisticated, larger, and less expensive. And so we are a benefactor from a manufacturing perspective in that we can build these engines very easily, the different sizes, coordinating with the FAA to perhaps get a type certification as the FAA becomes more familiar and comfortable with our rocket. I believe that we can get a type certification and have our rocket size quite easily tailored for a customer because the ability to 3D print the engines, carbon wrap them, you stick a nozzle on one end, you have an injector on the other end, and then to get the tanks and the avionics and the electronics is very easy. And our coordination with the FAA to date, we are having the very detailed conversations that the flight termination system for our rocket, unlike other rockets that would have C4 that would explode if they go off course uncommanded, there's an anomaly. Uh, the FAA understands that our rocket has zero TNT equivalency. And if they were to put explosives on our rocket for flight termination, the only explosive on the rocket is the flight termination system. So what the FAA has become comfortable with, we still don't have certification, is to be able to have redundancy in the release of our oxidizer to just shut the engine off, just make sure the engine shut off and then the rocket would fall in the ocean. And it doesn't become a multi-fragment uh, potential. It just shuts itself off. So the simplicity, the safety, the, uh, the, the ability of the 3D printers to print even better, and the team coming up with even better tweaks to the patents and trade secrets, shop rates, is very exciting. And just to clarify that, because some of our competitors are leveraging additive manufacturing, and, and obviously there's some, and that's in the direction of goodness. We're not just talking about 3D printing. When we, when we reference 3D printing for our hybrid engine, we're 3D printing the fuel grains as well. So the fuel grain is the solid fuel and it's also the combustion chamber because we wrap it with a carbon fiber. So that structure is the fuel. This is a, a different dimension than just talking about metallic and non-metallic additive manufacturing. Certainly that reduces parts count and parts weight and it's all in the direction of goodness. We're talking a, a level above and beyond that. So just a question, maybe you guys can't answer this. I mean, is the idea to put those 3D printers at all the launch locations, all the spaceports that you're, you're going to? Not really. I don't think it's necessary. We could certainly do that. There's the ability to do that. I think really just the payload integration would become the uh, the, the the point that we would center around 
And so having proximity to that, we're, we're anticipating global and mobile launch capabilities. With a 3D printer in that regard, you, you easily could move it. If we start talking about worldwide launch and ITAR restrictions, you know, we want to control that technology and make sure that it's well-guarded and safeguarded. So uh, we'll probably keep tight hold on it, but theoretically, you could do that. And to your question from World Fidelity, too, the, uh, and for clarity to Jack's comment, we're not 3D printing the entire rocket. So we're going to do common off-the-shelf components, avionics, electronics, you know, valves, we'll have a couple of valves. And so you know, it's just a few components, but we're 3D printing, or it makes sense. We're 3D printing components, or it makes sense from an economics perspective. But most importantly, we are 3D printing the rocket, the solid rocket fuel itself in a very specific way that provides that homogeneous burn that hasn't been able to been achieved with hybrid rockets before. So that's that that is the enabler, is 3D printing that solid rocket fuel. And then the team's also doing the analysis as we're moving forward from being science and technology, research and development. And now, as Jack mentioned before, uh, we're selected one of the top 15 companies in the state of Florida for Grow Florida uh, recognition next month over in Orlando's a black tie affair that we are one of the top 15 companies to watch in the state of Florida from a growth perspective. So we do expect we'll grow rapidly, but now you get into lean manufacturing. Does it make sense to own your own equipment or do you outsource the equipment? So the team's going through the make buy and those, those trade-offs. One of the advantages about the rocket again, remember zero TNT equivalent, we can ship this thing. We can stick it on a train, put it on a, a truck, you know, ship it, and it's not explosive. We don't have to worry about special handling or anything. So uh, to make it where it makes sense to make it and ship it where it needs to be shipped to be launched is certainly in that in that mix. I think my neighbors love it if I had one in my backyard. I don't know about you guys. But... <laughs> <laughs> See if it can cross the border. <laughs> get it across the border? Yeah. One of the things our listeners love to, to learn about is, you know, your journey to space. I mean, sounds like you're a couple of rocket scientists, but maybe Jack, kick off. I mean, how, how did you get into biospace? I was impressed with the technology and uh, my backgrounds. Uh, I'm a former military aviator and uh, uh, yeah, my, I've spent the last 20 years in commercial aerospace and defense. And so mostly in program management, and business development and strategy. For companies like uh, Northrop Grumman, Lockheed Martin, and General Dynamics, and L3. But when I found out about this technology, again, it's a game changer. So I look at our competitors that are all unicorns, and I realize they're where we're at. They, they, they were where we are at now a year ago, two years ago. So this is really a ground floor opportunity. And because the company's been very uh, good stewards of, of their investment dollars, there's no debt, Really, where this company is in, in, in its evolution is, is a perfect place to be joining and, and, and to help guide this company to commercial operations. So that's my focus is the go-to-market strategy and positioning us so that uh, we hit the ground running with our 2023 orbital launch. We expect our suborbital campaign to successfully conclude before the end of this quarter, and uh, we're just going to be scaling. We're very excited. When you guys started the company, we always love to hear about where these things started. We've got you know, one guest that his company started in an old gas station, and they've been quite successful in building small sats today. And you guys are close to an RV facility, but is that is that really where you started or what was the origin of VIA? 
the garage moment. That's what we call it. <laughs> well, actually, the garage moment, it happened out west. It was a couple of dreamers and schemers. Wouldn't it be possible? And so there's it typically starts with a good idea, and particularly when you're doing innovation. I mean, this is this is innovative. This is not just another bipropellant or another solid fuel rocket engine. So very innovative. So came up with a concept. Sid Gutierrez, as Jack has said, he's the chairman of our board of directors. He was introduced to the concept as a former astronaut. Our current president, Rob Babian, a little while later was introduced to the concept. Uh, it was discovered that I'd been working in rocketry and been working with some hybrids. And so the discussion started happening. And then the Florida Institute of Technology, just down the street, there was some research and development going down there, some science projects. And really, it was a compilation of those entities coming together uh, saying, well, let's go ahead and pull a little bit of money. So this is sort of mom and pop. Let's go ahead and test the concept to see if this is really doable. 3D print the thermoplastic engine, come up with a test stand. The uh, Florida Institute of Technology was the enabler for that, you know, with the students. And so really, it was a sort of a student and dreamers and schemers from the adult side that worked in this area went ahead and did the initial test in 2017. And so we, we lit off the first few rocket engines and said, well, by golly, this seems to work. And that was the enabler to go get a little bit more investment. As Jack had indicated before, we are not like a SPAC or, you know, have a VC coming in going, give us $100 million. We think we can go prove this or we'll build a rocket. It was doing this crawl, walk, run. So we did small rockets, 250-pound class, then a little bit larger, 500-pound class. They worked. And then uh, because Jack, Sid, Rob, myself, we have government background, we said, this is pretty cool stuff. And in fact, this rocket, you may be familiar with insensitive munitions, it won't blow up. And would the government be interested in something like that? So we reached out to DARPA. DARPA goes, hey, we're, we're interested. Could you maybe do a demonstration? Thus, we get a contract to do a 5,000-pound thrust engine. And so that was a quite an enabler doing that margin engine. And that generated more investor interest. As a result, in 2021, we closed the $10 million Series A raise. And again, the approach is crawl, walk, run, prove the technology. Is it safe? Is it repeatable? Keep moving forward, get enough investment. Don't do the VC. Don't do the big raise. Let's go ahead and prove the capability. So we closed out the $10 million raise. And in fact, as a result, we had other investors. It was a targeted $10 million raise. Investors said they wanted to have more opportunity to invest. So we did an up round for another what was it, $10, $12, $12 million. We're doing that raise right now. And so this is just moving along very methodically, demonstrating the capability, patents, trade secrets, shop rights, building the team as we need to, getting the contracts. You know, I applaud Jack and the team. And we're getting, we're not going out trying to make a big splash. We're the smallest, probably going to be big company you've never heard of, but we're moving forward. And I think uh, our breakout is going to be in 2022 and the launches in 2023. And really 2021 was the pivotal year for us. That's when our focus changed from R&D to operations, commercial operations. So, via the whole the whole branding of via space, go to the go to space. Uh, that's what we're about: providing economic, affordable, safe, environmentally friendly access to space. And uh, again, if you think that the average orbital rocket 
is going to consume the equivalent of 2 million discarded water bottles that would otherwise be in landfills or clog our oceans. You can actually go out to our, our website and we supported uh, International Ocean Conservancy and International Coastal Cleanup. We had volunteers from Via Space on two continents and three coasts on the uh, Gulf Coast in Alabama, the Space Coast in Florida, and the Rio Coast in Brazil. We're aligning ourselves with uh, not only can we use recycled thermoplastics, we can also use biosource thermoplastics uh, from uh, sugarcane and other things. So as we look at the uh, chemistry and we tweak our rockets, we can actually customize the propulsion uh, characteristics needed for the mission. We can have different burn rates and different layers of uh, fuel grains so that we can really tailor this. And not only is it throttable, we can stop it and restart it multiple times. So it lends itself to in-space propulsion, uh, what we're calling orbital valet. It lends itself partnering with the technology that doesn't exist right now to take a lot of the micro debris out of space. Uh, most of the technology is centered on the, on the big satellites before they crash at the end of their service life into other objects and, be, and become multiple small objects. But we're looking at partnering with and teaming with that technology as it's developed as well to look at sustainability of space. So we think our green element of our fuel, the safety element, we think there's a definite market there and uh, we're gonna carve out that market niche and uh, uh, we're anxious to uh, uh, get that part uh, ongoing. I think as a, uh, an attribute and really a compliment to biospaces we're moving forward. And you ask, you know, where did we start in the garage? Aside from working remotely from different locations, uh, the first location we had was over next to the RV repair park that we talked about earlier. And that location was availed to us by the landlord who was so excited about what we were doing. We were doing our test down at Florida Institute of Technology in the parking lot is where we were doing the initial test. And then as the word was getting around and the idea, the capability, the, the compelling capability that this rocket engine could provide to revolutionize space access, local individuals became excited. So our landlord over in the industrial park said, hey, use my facility. Here's a you know, great deal. You know, Use it, modify it. And so we're just using that. We outgrew that facility. We're in the facility we're in right now. That's another significant investor in the organization in the biospace. So we have I a mean, very good deal for this current location. I'm delighted that one of our largest cash investors three years ago is our patent attorney. And so this is somebody I had worked with before. You know, I sat down and talked with him and said, Mike, here's what we're doing moving forward. And he goes, Grant, that is one of the most exciting, patentable capabilities that I've ever seen. Can I invest in the company? And so here's our, you know, our patent attorney. His office is up in Washington, D.C., and he's a former U.S. patent attorney and has a very successful practice in D.C. So the confidence that we're getting, not only from the technical team demonstrating the ability, but the confidence we have with the investors wanting to have more and more of this company as we're moving forward. So uh, we continue to grow you know, the methodology, the very you know, crawl, walk, run, and we're starting to move into the walk phase right now as we're getting ready to go do these suborbital tests. Well, I know crawl, walk, run definitely uh, resonates with myself and probably Chad too, because I've got little kids that are just crawling now. So I get yeah. that I'm with you. <laughs> and now I'm kind of wondering with those chemistry sets, if they start collecting water bottles to put next to them to hold on to, I know who to come talk to about that. And, uh... <laughs> <laughs> you know, it is 
is a, it, it, on that note, it's, 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 it's a sad state that the majority of plastics aren't recycled. When you look at it, there's something like only 9% of plastics that get recycled and the overwhelming majority are just designed for single use. Let's, let's be clear. That's, that's mostly the U.S. The rest of the world pretty much recycles. No, no, actually, that, that, that's a global statistic on plastics. That comes from, if you look at the Ocean Conservancy and some of the other advocacy, environmental advocacy groups, that's a global statistic that globally, across the board, less than 9% of plastics get recycled. So the, the three R's are reduce, reuse, and recycle. We're aligning with uh, a lot of those environmental groups. You can actually go to our website and you can find when the, where they're doing uh, cleanups in your community. You can program and plan a community cleanup in your own community. You can hop on board existing uh, efforts like I, I talked about international coastal cleanup. But yeah, the majority of plastics, it's, 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 we've got to change the way that we're consuming. And this is just a way of reusing those uh, plastics that are, like I said, clogging landfills and choking our oceans. But relative to that, one thing that I'm delighted by is we will never in the foreseeable future be challenged for a source of fuel. We're, we're going to have an abundance of fuel source. Yeah, so we we usually, like you guys have been really great about giving us your, your time today. And, and one of the last things that we usually like to ask as we're wrapping these up, if it weren't your your own company that's the most exciting thing going on in space, what do you think is the most exciting thing happening in the space industry today? We're standing on the shoulders of giants already, and it helps to appreciate that by having a retired astronaut as our chairman. But when we look at the things that Elon Musk is doing, that Jeff Bezos is doing, that Richard Branson is doing with space tourism and bringing access to space. And while some people argue that our focus should be more earthbound, I don't think it has to be either or. I think looking at sustainability of the planet and space with all of the manufacturing of medicines, with all of the things that we can do with that technology that we can bring that helps to make the earth a better place, I'm just excited to be associated with this industry now. And I can't imagine, if I wasn't at this company, I can't imagine where I'd be, but it'd be somewhere in the space industry. Yeah. So my response is a little bit to that, but more, more focused. So for example, in 2020, uh, globally, there were 114 orbital launches in 2020. I'm not going to give you the 2021 numbers because they're not complete yet and there's different sources. But in 2020, uh, 114 orbital launches. Of the 114 orbital launches, 41 were purely commercial. That's a big chunk. I mean, that's a big chunk. Now, of those 114 launches, there were over 1,200 satellites put into orbit. So this is multiple satellites, you know, off of one launch. But in 2020, 40% of all the small sats that have been launched in the past 10 years, 40% of those went up in 2020. So these small stats and their ability to improve quality of life for us as they're monitoring the earth, as they're you know, providing communications, as the, maybe we're going to be connected you know, globally from a network that's almost you know, the speed of light, you know, the speed of light. We haven't begun to experience the benefits that these small sats are going to provide us, I think, within the next 10 years. The experimentation, the discovery, the wow factor 
that I think is going to happen in the next decade. But then for Biospace to be an enabler to help put those satellites up. And as you well know, those low, low Earth orbit satellites are all perishable. So to continue to rebuild on that for the benefit of humankind, I think it's going to be absolutely remarkable. It's exciting. But then it also gets into the regulation of space. So I think there's a lot that needs to happen there, but that's another podcast for you and you're probably doing it with somebody else. <laughs> but in any case, that's, so that's my excitement. So thank you for asking the question. Great. Well, you know, it's it's been really, really amazing having you guys on the show and being based here in Florida. I can't wait to get over and, and see you in person sometime. Check out your facilities. The rocket-powered Winnebago. Can't wait to see that when it's when it's finally on <laughs> off the assembly line. But yeah, this is this is such an exciting thing to see you as if I understood right, the only residential launch company in Florida that's domiciled here. Did I get that right? That's yeah. correct. That's correct. Yeah, that's that's great. In fact, we had a local congressman was here two weeks ago at his request. He shared with us his excitement that we are a homegrown rocket company here in the state of Florida. First one. Yep. That's amazing. Fantastic. Well, certainly there are other companies that do business in Florida, but we're the only uh, rocket company in the city of Cocoa. And again, we're, we're not just coming here to launch. We're employing people from the Space Coast, from the Space Corridor. There's a great pool of talent here and uh, uh, well-priced, well-positioned, the logistics support chain, the supply chain already established. There's a lot going on in Florida and uh, besides just Disney World. <laughs> the weather too. Let's let's not forget. <laughs> yeah, please please come visit because uh, we do these hot tests regularly. Oh, that'd be great. I think the team would probably be okay with you pushing a button. Maybe not. Oh, okay. Yeah, we. <laughs> I, I'm sold. <laughs> I'm coming down. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say hot dogs <laughs> and marshmallows. All right. Well, this is this has been great, guys. I really appreciate you joining the show. I'm sure Andrew and Chad do. They're just not as nice as me. Hot dogs and, I, and marshmallows. <laughs> hot dogs and marshmallows. Well, we'll see you guys all around the Space Coast, and you're welcome back on the show anytime. We'd love to have you back. So it was pretty amazing. I mean, thinking about the environmental side of rockets, which I really wouldn't have put together using plastic bottles to launch rockets. Recycled bottles. But I, I mean, in Canada, we use our recycled bottles to make, you know, the, the polar fleece jacket. So I, I don't know how I feel about this. Fleece jacket, rocket, fleece jacket, rocket. Uh, I've seen your fleece jacket. Maybe we can make it into a rocket. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but just launch me. Launch there me. We go. Yeah. Launch me. Hence, Thruster was born. Yeah. And, you know, you guys, you like your Winnebago's in Canada. Like, I can't wait to uh, to see the rocket-powered Winnebago. I just can't wait to see the video from the Tesla Roadster as the Winnebago goes breezing by in orbit. <laughs> <laughs> that will be pretty good. There's yeah, the commercial Elon right there. Space right there. But yeah, we're definitely going to have to get down there to Florida. Watch out, Clint. We're going to be knocking on your door sometime soon to uh, fire off a rocket. I was serious. I'm just going to the beach and I'm going to buy space and that's it. That's my board, tour. Board shorts and hitting the red button. <laughs> yeah, <So>. exactly. <laughs> You're wearing a shirt, right? And cutting the mullet? No, that's not what you do at the beach, right? <laughs> not the Florida beach. Not, not the Florida, Florida beach, beach for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. I can just see where this one's going. You know, one of the things everyone knows about is Florida, man. And no one ever thinks that that lives in Florida, no one ever thinks that you're a Florida man. But I can just see as we uh, go down to a hot fire test, 
there's got to be some Florida man event coming out of that one. <laughs> yeah, <I'm> kidding, right? Oh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was great. Great to have a real Top Gun in our uh, on our show today. Great to see you guys again as the start of the new year for our, our recordings and podcast. And uh, I can't wait to see where Vaya goes. Looking Exciting forward times. to it. All May right. the Schwartz be with them. May the Schwartz be <laughs> with you. Schwartz be- <laughs> but I know my Schwartz is bigger than yours. <laughs> All right. That's see you where next you time need to end it, right there. Yeah, right there. That's a cut. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for another episode of Space in 60. Stay tuned as we explore new journeys into space with our upcoming guests and talk about the evolution of the industry. Be sure to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any new episodes. And we would love your input and feedback. So send us your comments and questions, and we'll try to feature them in a future podcast. We'll catch you on the next episode of Space and 60, where new space speaks. Mm-hmm.